India is a rich melting pot of embroidery styles and techniques, a roadmap of the numerous migrations and political overtakings, all of which meld together demonstrating India's ability to accommodate and accept. And in this episode, the focus is on three very distinctive embroidery techniques easily associated with India. Indian shisha work, pulkari embroidery, and the often overlooked yet exotically beautiful beetle wing embroidery. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and, funnily enough, stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. Shimmering and seductive, shisha or mirror work embroidery is one of India's classic and most highly recognisable embroidery techniques. Shisha is Persian for glass and is a form of applied decorative embroidery characterised by small pieces of reflective material sewn onto a ground cloth. The history of shisha work can be traced back to the 13th century Persia and was thought to have been introduced into India by travellers and tradesmen during the Mughal era when a process of glass making developed, making glass from sand, lime and soda in a small furnace. Stemming from traditional Islamic beliefs, the mirrors help trap or blind the evil eye, reflecting bad luck and evil spirits away from the wearer. These beliefs trickled over to Hinduism and Jainism, where Torans covered in shisha work were hung on the front of doors to ward off evil spirits. A Toran is a structural gateway often seen in Hindu and Buddhist architecture. Visiting India in the 13th century, merchant and traveller Marco Polo commented that mirror work embroidery from India was more intricate and skillfully crafted than any other he had seen. And although Mumtaz Mahal, wife of Shah Jahan, who built the Taj Mahal in her honour, is credited with the technique, it appears the technique was already well used. It would be far more likely that Mumtaz helped make the technique more popular as it was highly prevalent by the 17th century. Indian artisans excelled at the craft. Their ancestors came from the Jat community who migrated to India bringing with them traditional Balochi techniques of mirror work and embroidery where the mirrors are cut to represent shapes such as flower petals and leaves. 
the Kathig community of Gujarat incorporated mirror work alongside other handicrafts using the mirrors as centrepieces of eyes in animal motives. Traditional Rajasthani clothes are heavily adorned with shisha work embroidery using traditional motives and embellishments reflecting their exotically colourful and effervescent lifestyle. Older examples of shisha work used mica, a mineral with crystals that can be easily split into thin elastic plates, perfect to create the shiny effect required for shisha or mirror embroidery. Tin, silver, thin coins, even beetle wings were sometimes used, but in the 20th century these have been replaced with glass which was blown into a large thin bubble, then broken into small round pieces. The mirrors or shisha came in a variety of shapes and are mostly mass produced now using a thin layer of glass with a silver backing. These may be square, round or geometric in shape and vary from very small to quite large. Frames were sometimes used to hold down the discs as there are no holes allowing the disc to be attached to the ground fabric. So either a frame of crisscrossed embroidery stitches are used or frames made of tin or by the end of the 20th century plastic are often used. It's also possible to now buy shisha rings, machine embroidered rings which are simply placed over the mirrors and appliqued or further embellished with decorative stitches onto the ground or backing fabric. Personally, I don't believe you can uh, do better than attaching the mirrors with decorative hand embroidery, beginning with a base of two vertical and followed by two horizontal threads, crisscrossing each other, forming a tension to structure and support further stitching. And if you think really hard enough, they can be applied by machine, as I have done so in some of my own contemporary machine work. The embroidery for mirror work is often stitched in a combination of bright, energetic colours using a variety of decorative stitches and is widely used on clothing, wall or door hangings, covers, cushions, bedspreads and book covers. Pulkari or flowering work is one of the major types of counted thread work in Indian embroidery, steeped in tradition and now synonymous with the Punjab. Thought to have been introduced into India during the 15th century by migrating tribes, the designs are mainly geometric patterns, although some do include animals, flowers and more recently trains and other images of modern life. The geometric patterns used in Pulkari embroidery represent fields, crops and objects owned by the family. It's not until the 17th century that there's any written record documented when it appears in the Punjabi folklore by Waris Shah and is often associated with the Sikh heritage, referencing Hindu and Muslim adaptions throughout history. Pulkari embroidery, often featured as part of a bride's wedding trousseau, worked on by a community of women. 
It was a domestic craft, but soon changed into a commercial market with the arrival of the British and the opening of overseas markets. A report by Lockwood Kipling, father of Rudyard Kipling for the Journal of Indian Art, references the development of the trade of pulkari, criticising the modifications made to adapt the work to European tastes. By the 19th century, there was an exponential increase in the demand for pulkari work in America and Europe, and to cater to that demand, the embroidery began being worked by machine, dramatically reducing the price. Stitches and patterns catered to Western tastes, with the result that this craft in its original form, is slowly dying while the poorer machine-made version flourishes. Although women in small pockets continue to practice this traditional craft, further effort from government and other agencies is required to document the motives and techniques in order to resurrect this magnificent craft. Pulkari embroidery has a number of distinct designs. Some are a combination of styles, some are very simply and sparsely embroidered, while others are heavily worked. There are four main categories of Pulkari embroidery. Barg, where little of the background fabric shows. The fabric is embroidered with patterns using a darning stitch, which almost covers the entire surface. Chope refers to embroidery often worked only at the sides of a length of cloth using a double running stitch so that it's identical front and back. Sainchi includes figure work in the design. And lastly, shish adar or shish bag, where, uh, which includes shisha mirrors. This form of embroidery was passed from generation to generation, orally or via stitched samplers, a study of which shows how the patterns have evolved and changed. And uniquely, Porcari is worked with the back facing the embroiderer, so the uh, design emerges without the embroiderer seeing it, using a simple darning stitch. Only small, short stitches appear as the embroiderer works, but on the reverse or right side, these create long passages of thread, able to catch the light with all the changes of direction. Untwisted silk floss also helps to reflect the light, giving the surface a shiny, shimmering appearance. Other examples of countered thread work incorporate cross-stitch and Florentine stitch, but are not included under the general heading of Pulkari. Pulkari embroidery is used to decorate fabrics for the home and temple. Pulkari shawls are made for weddings and festivals, and after the ceremony are used as a wall hanging or bed cover. Mirrors, carry shells, metal sequins, silver paper, plastics, coins, buttons, tassels and even beetle wings have been used in India as a means of embellishing fabric to produce ultra-decorative effects. 
Beetle wing embroidery described on the Fashion History Timeline website as a colonialist fantasia and exotic fad in 19th century England and America rose to fame in 18th century India and was promptly appropriated by the English during the period where the East India Company and the British military were in occupation. Yet the technique was widely used throughout India for centuries prior to this, stemming from Mughal, India, 1526 to 1857, where the craft was used in household and personal adornment, which may date the craft back even further. The jewel beetle lives across the globe and the hard casings shielding the insect's fragile wings have been used in a variety of cultures including Peru, Ecuador, Naga and Myanmar for decoration and jewellery making. These hard casings or elytra come in a range of stunningly beautiful colours, generally green with a blue-purple shimmer. During the Mughal era, beetle wing embroidery was made all over India, but the royal court at Jaipur took the art to new heights in the 18th and 19th century. The elytra were used, uh, usually cut into smaller sequins and incorporated into an overall design rather than being a primary element or feature and were often paired with zardozi or gold embroidery and embroidery worked with brightly coloured cottons or fine silks. This was worked on garments for all genders and ages, with extant men's jams, turbans, shoes, women's cholis and saris, children's belts and hand fans, evidencing this in museum collections. It wasn't until the late 18th century that a distinct style of beetle wing embroidery developed for export on Western clothing, shown in several extant gowns in Scotland, decorated with beetle wing embroidery along the edges of the dresses. Victorian dresses tend to use the beetle wing casings in its original state, so it was clearly a wing casing covering vast swathes of the dress, making the dress far less versatile, but at the same time garnering greater attention. The Indian style of embroidery uh, using these casings, on the other hand, cut them into smaller pieces and was technically far superior in its execution. English, American and Australian Victorian women wore light cotton dresses richly embroidered with thousands of beetle wings glittering like emeralds, making a statement about their wealth, power and worldliness. One 1898 magazine article boasted, There are 5,000 beetle wings used in this dress. And oddly enough, the beetle wings were sometimes sewn onto gowns in imitation of live beetles. The designers were using biomimicry, quintessentially showing the Victorian interest in naturalism and order, not reflected in existing mogul embroidery. 
The embroidery designs changed with the fashions, so when ruffles and tears began to appear in the mid-1850s and bustles in the 1870s and 1880s, the designs changed to suit. The export market also included embroidery of the elytra onto white and sometimes black cotton bobbinette and muslin in order to increase the range of uses at its final destination. Most embroidery was worked in fragmented shapes to suit the dress pattern and exported as a flat textile. For instance, a textile circa 1880 of gold thread and beetle wing embroidery worked on black muslin is worked in the full length of a princess line dress front panel and now resides at the V&A Museum, London no longer made as unique one-off pieces for the mogul elite. By the mid-19th century, beetle-wing embroidery became a booming export business in Chennai on India's southeastern coast. And its uses and history goes even further and warrants further exploration in the next episode of the Stitch Safari podcast. Thank you for your time. I truly appreciate and value the time you spend here with me. Have I whetted your appetite for more? I sincerely hope so because I just keep adding to the ideas. So do stay tuned. There's always something new. Stitch Safari's now reached over 6,000 downloads and that's all thanks to you. It's also been mentioned as one of the 20 Best Embroidery Podcasts of 2021 by Wilp Magazine and listed in the top five textile industry podcasts as at September 2021 by Feedspot. And I'm extremely grateful. Please leave a message and subscribe to the Stitch Safari podcast. There's just so much more to discover and it's all so fascinating. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time, as well as book reviews and a blog on the Stitch Safari website. So do head on over. Till the next episode of Stitch Safari and our next exciting adventure into stitch, embroidery and design. Bye for now.